Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And together we are Fran Path Consulting. Good afternoon, Brittany Bodie. How <laughs> Good are you? afternoon. I'm great. How are you, Sam? Well, now I'm remembering why we let you start the the greetings most days, but I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> Glad to have you back, sister. I know. I've been out of the office for 10 days. I'm feeling a little rusty, um, but I'm excited. I'm ready to be back to work. It was a whirlwind of lots of travel over 10 days. I got to spend about half of that with you at a conference, which was a lot of fun too. Yeah, it was great to see you and it was great to get our team together for the first time and for their, our consultants that joined our team, it was their first IFPG retreat, which honestly was so cool because last year was our first retreat as consultants, but we had both been many times before on the other side in development. It was just neat for them to get to see that type of environment and really enjoy all the folks that we talk about all the time. Well, just seeing it through their eyes, like you said, I have been going to IFPG retreat since there's been an IFPG retreat on the development side and getting to see it through fresh eyes was really fun. And this event was huge. I mean, you and I together have been to countless consultant conferences on the development side, and this is by far the biggest conference in, in you know, franchise brokering, franchise consulting that I've been to. Same. And I think, you know, we always talk about sound quality and acoustics here. I lost my voice from yelling so people could hear me. How are you? Great. Tell me more. <laughs> so, and I have a loud voice. So I think it was, it was just a really good time. Really great to see everybody. And honestly, so many brands that we hadn't met the founders yet. We hadn't finished that vetting process. And then also, when you say seeing it through the eyes of our consultants, getting the opportunity to see the brands that they liked and how they were evaluating concepts as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we have certainly a pretty extensive portfolio of brands that we show, you know, to our clients because we have vetted them. But as we're training our new consultants and we're talking about what is it that we're looking for, there are certain qualities that we really try to check the box on. And some of them are extremely tangible. They're data driven and others are the intangibles. It's meeting founders. It's understanding the support infrastructure structure, brand differentiators, culture, all of those things. So conferences allow for all of that. You know, we were speed dating and you sit down with these brands and a couple of things. You're getting to know the development team behind the brand. Are they going to take good care of our clients? Do they have a well-developed process for them to learn everything they need to decide if that brand's a good fit? And then we're oftentimes meeting founders. Founders are coming to the conferences and just seeing who they're going to be in business with. I think that piece is really exciting too. And it's a much larger portion, I think, than our team had originally anticipated is the development person that's on the brand and the team behind the brand really does dictate the tone, the tone of the discovery process, how clients feel when they're going through things, how the brand is presented. And sometimes you can have a fantastic brand that on paper looks amazing, 
And then you meet the team behind it and it's very meh. And I just, as I look back at the brands that we reviewed while we were there and kind of got a chance to talk through as we've gotten home, there were a few that we were really excited about that I think we turned back around and said, yeah, probably not for us. Probably we need to do a little bit more work. And then there were some that we didn't even see coming that were fantastic movers. And then there were brands that we went there to see that we wanted to just get that little bit more information. And, you know, we've talked a lot about pet brands, Britt, and we had a big need in our portfolio for some high quality, great margin pet brands. And I think we have the creme de la creme with us today. We have Tim Church, who is the Director of Development on Splash and Dash. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Uh, well, I am so happy to be here. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. We are thrilled to have you. You know, we I talked at the top of this about the importance of getting to know the team and the culture. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting the founder of Splash and Dash at breakfast one morning. So it really reigns true that meeting that leadership team is so important, helps keep those brands top of mind. So, so glad that you're here with us today and so glad I was able to meet your founder you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sam and I know quite a bit about you, but tell our listeners more about your background, how you fell into franchising and, and how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, I fell into it's absolutely right. When I was a very young, uh, young fellow, I had a job in St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up working for a company cleaning windows. You go out and clean windows on these storefronts. I advance into my adult life. I'm working in sales in the telecommunications industry. This guy named Mike Merrick, founder of Fish Window Cleaning, calls me and says, hey, I, can, I, I hear you're dabbling in websites. Can you make a picture of the United States on the web? And if somebody clicks on a state, it tells you something. I said, I can do that. What are you doing, Mike? He said, I'm going to franchise the window cleaning business. I said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. Let me help. And so that, that's how I fell into it. So um, Mike Merrick, an icon in franchising, Myself and his wife uh, got that company uh, going, and then his sons joined. And of course, the company's now sort of quasi-famous in franchising. But that's how I got into it. I don't think that I knew that. So here we are, like we know a lot about Tim, and we did not know a lot about Tim. Now you've done a lot of different things, starting, you know, obviously by building a website. We didn't know that, but what else has your career in franchising encompassed? I've known you in a few different roles in the last six years? So, I, I mean, I've done development work for a number of different brands uh, in the automotive sector, in um, well, service sectors, uh, such as fish window cleaning and you know, basement crack repair and things like that. I've owned franchises in service sectors also. Um, and actually, I think you know this, I spent a few years on the same side of the fence that, that you both are on now, helping people you know, figure out what, you know, what, what's really out there and how to do the, the right research on it. So I kind of feel like um, I've been on, you know, all three sides of the fence, I guess, you know, in franchising. And I keep falling back into this seat, which is working with brands that, you know, every time I try to retire, they say, well, you want to talk to these guys? And I go meet them, meet them. Oh my gosh, this is great. Sure. I'll do it for a little while longer. So um, yeah, I got into it in the late nineties and here we are 2022 and I can't see myself getting away from this industry. I love, you know, love it here. So. And it loves you. You're, you know, 
there aren't very many people that every single person I meet speaks so positively about, <laughs> but I've never, if, it, if somebody ever said to me, you know, Tim Church, I'd probably be like, I think you're the problem. <laughs> so I do, I want to acknowledge that you have one of the best reputations in the business just for being an all around fantastic person, but also for really educating clients. And you know, I follow you on social media where we learn all things about everybody <laughs> that, you know, you can't bring up to their face because they'll be like, well, how do you know that? Oh, you saw right. me on the internet. And one thing I know is you do have some cute white dogs. So Splash and Dash seems like a natural one for you. What is Splash and Dash? What sets it apart? Just tell us a little bit about the Splash and Dash brand. So one of the toughest things I ever have to do is what you just said, which is tell us a little bit because I want to tell you everything. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a dog lover. My wife and I are dog lovers. Uh, dogs are our family. They, uh, you know, This is going to gross some people out, but Frank uh, sleeps on the pillow you know, with me. I got to move him every now and then, right? But So, yeah, that, that part of it uh, certainly synced up with Splash and Dash and said, I get it. Like, I, I'm, the, I'm the customer you know, archetype. Uh, but what Splash and Dash is, is a groomery and boutique that offers membership programs to keep uh, keep on top of wellness checks and, and bathing of the dogs. And so when I say membership program, easiest way to explain it for somebody who doesn't have any idea what I'm talking about is that when I talk about cars, I have an unlimited wash membership with my cars. I take my car and whenever I want, go through the car wash. I just pay a monthly fee for it. And that's what I, that's what I do. If I want to add things onto it, I can. So we do that same thing with a, with a, you know, little, uh, furry members of our families is give them a membership where, you know, most dogs like mine, the little, little, little white hairy dogs that I have get groomed every four weeks, Frank and Nick go every four weeks, but you know what? After about three or four days, sometimes we get five out of it. Frank's a little stinker because he likes to dig weird stuff up in the yard and roll in it. So he needs more frequent bathing than maybe what that, you know, monthly grooming is going to be. And a lot of people are in that situation. The founder of the company, uh, Dan Barton, he started his family with a little uh, Yorkie named Mercedes, and he learned the same thing. And that's really was the impetus of getting this business started is provide that for, um, you know, pet parents, you know, give them, give them a way to keep their dogs fresh and clean and sleep by their pillow with them without having to figure out a weird way to go to a groom, a full grooming every week. Cause that's just not feasible. Yeah. Not affordable, not feasible. I was just on the phone with my mom right before this. She had picked up her dog, Olivia from boarding and she was, she, her quote to me was she was filthy in her Boston accent. And she was like, we had to give her a bath right when we got home, we had to give her a bath. I mean, it is needed that you have to have great solutions to take good care of your pets. So you mentioned your founders, maybe back up for us a little bit and tell us about the founder, kind of why he launched this brand. Tell us the history behind Splash and Dash. Yeah. So yeah, Dan Barton, uh, super interesting, interesting history, in my opinion. Uh, he was one of the top producing multi-unit franchise owners for a company called World Gym. World Gym's a humongous, iconic franchise, been around forever, hundreds and hundreds of locations on six continents all over the world. And Dan's one of the top guys here in or at the time, Orlando, Florida, with uh, about a half dozen units that he had open. The CEO of World Gym called Dan and said, you're doing it better than anyone else. And you're really smart. Would you come be my CFO and put together uh, the processes and systems that so what you're doing can be deployed globally? And Dan said, yep. So Dan packs up his little doggy Mercedes that had just, you know, he'd started his family with, goes out to Palm Desert, California, 
uh, doing the ends up selling his world gym locations, which you know a lot of franchisees sell their locations, right? That's what he did. Goes out there and he realized that every uh, grooming salon that he wanted to take Mercedes to, he felt funny about leaving her because the first thing he got hit with when he walked in was it smells dirty in here. So like a wet dog. So like a mildew farm, you know, and the way his mind interpreted it was, and, and he will explain this. I hope this doesn't sound sexist, but he'll say, Tim, if your wife wanted to go get uh, a, a mani petty and maybe some other kind of, maybe get her hair done, goes to go to the spa and she walked in there and it smelled like a mildew farm. Is she going to spend her money there? Like, you know, and if you had a daughter, do you want to send her in there? No, this has got to be fixed. So what Dan ended up doing, he got so kind of wrapped up and intense about it. And he's a pretty intense guy. Um, is he said, forget this. I'm going to find the best store I can. It's a place called Hollywood uh, Premier. Hollywood Premier Pets was the name of it. And he bought it. And he said, I'm quitting as a C CFO of World Gym. And I'm going to make the best pet groomery and boutique that's ever existed. So people who truly love their little doggies like I love mine have a place that they can uh, take them and feel good about the entire experience. That's what started it. Again, I don't think I knew that. As I read things and hear things, I'm always like, okay, I think I understand this. And then we have people on the podcast and it's like my passion starts igniting and I'll, I, I'm even more impressed knowing that portion of the story. So we know one of the differentiators is that it doesn't smell. That has to be a differentiator because that is that is very true. Most dog groomers do smell like wet dogs when you walk in. But tell us, what are the key differentiators of this brand besides a fresh scent? You know, it's uh, making a, making money. I know we're not maybe supposed to dive right down that path right away. But what Dan did, this is his CFO brain going into it. You know, he now he owns this Hollywood Premier Pets. He starts noticing things um, that needed to get fixed. So the odor was one thing. So that that was not difficult to clear that up. Uh, another thing he noticed was that um, there are um, certain ways that the grooming industry has always done things that are horribly inefficient. I'll give you one example. Um, a, a grooming salon typically has a groomer that either does everything with the dog, like from, from bathing to finishing and handing back to the owner, or the way they scale or attempt to scale is they'll hire some bathers. So bathers an entry-level position that washes and dries the dog then gives it to the groomer. What Dan saw groomers spending about 75 to 80% of their time on were tasks that you could train an entry-level person to do. The real value in the groomer's work was anything with scissors. Now, I'm putting scissors around the face or the, the feet or the, you know, the, the, the rear end of the dog and any of that kind of stuff. That takes a lot of skill and a lot of training and a lot of experience. But to cotton swab out the ears, to do a teeth brushing, to do some of the sanitary things that get done, or like dogs like my brothers, you know, Labradoodles, have you ever seen one of those things? Those get a big shave down sometimes. We don't need a lot of skill to do that. So what he created another labor position that is in between the bather and the groomer, that that created just a lot more um, ability to do a lot more volume. The next thing that he developed, and this has continued evolving over time, some amazing things about to come out, is the software platform that he developed. Man, I don't know where to begin. Can I throw a couple of things that um, help the high, the high productivity happen? So one of the things the software does, I'm going to explain two different things. One of the things it does is on a two-week rolling basis, it learns, it's watching every employee every minute of every day what the employee is doing. 
And so it learns which employees are best at which tasks with which breeds and specific, and sometimes the specific dog. So I'll give you an example. So we've got our bathers that are, you know, washing and drying. We've got our preppers that are you know, maybe doing the shave down and some of the sanitary things. We've got our groomers doing scissor work. My brother's got these three Labradoodles, right? So he brings in one of the Labradoodles and the system's going to say, all right, of our three bathers that are on the clock right now, uh, Sally, bather number one, is uh, 20% faster on Labradoodles, getting them dry. That's a tough part on a Labradoodle than my other two. And then uh, of my <clears throat> of my preppers, Joe just, he's he's 27% faster at doing the nail clipping on these big goofy dogs that are always trying to jump around and lick you. Um, and he's not so fast maybe on the little small dogs, but the big ones, for whatever reason, that's his bailiwick, right? And then of my two groomers that I've got on staff, here's the one that, so what the software is doing is creating real-time workflows that create major efficiencies, okay? Pretty amazing. So that's one of the things. Another thing that's happening, when you look at just the grooming industry in general, it works kind of like my calendar works, right? I know I've got you know X number of you know 30-minute, 45-minute, and one-hour slots during the day, and those get filled up. And sometimes in my day, uh, for whatever reason, I'll take one of my one-hour presentations, I'll get done in 48 minutes, and boy, am I happy I got a little bit of time back. But what do I do with that time in, in, in my line of work? I go get another uh, drink of water. I go outside and stretch for a minute. I grab my fly rod, do three quick casts, come back in and get back on the phone. But it does. I, but I don't use that time to generate revenue. So Dan being a, a CFO and a, and a very technical guy said, all right, let's write this software. What it does is since it's monitoring everything minute by minute anyway, when capacity, additional capacity is created, let's fill the capacity. And so an example would be, um, well, I'll give you two examples. A positive example would be um, my team is just uh, firing on all cylinders. They're just doing great today. And for whatever reason, the dogs are easy today. None of the dogs are fighting them back or anything. And so as the day, we're three hours into the day, we now see that we, if we continue this pace, we're going to have room for two more dogs on schedule today. The software is then going to start pinging the wait list automatically saying, Hey, Mrs. Jones, I know you're on schedule for Tuesday, but you noted you'd like to get in earlier. If we have an opening, we have an opening today at 2 p.m. Would you like to bring Rover in? So it's pinging that wait list. It's also looking at, if, if there's not a wait list, it's looking at customers that have a history of showing up around this time. They haven't shown up yet. Hey, we had an unexpected opening. Would you like $10 off to come in today? It's also looking out at a two-week window at different, uh, every day, what capacity is booked. If it sees a day, for, exa for, for example, say, uh, what day are we on right now? Thursday. If it sees that on Tuesday, um, I've got 30% availability. In other words, I'm only 70% booked. It's going to start sending offers to clients that aren't booked saying, hey, uh, this is normally around the time you bring uh, your little doggy in. If you book on this day, we'll give you a free bag of treats. Or whatever, so that so the franchisee can set thresholds of things to happen and offers and all this, and the software does it automatically. If we go back to where Dan is coming from on software development, and this is nothing against human beings, I love human beings, but it, he said, "Look, human beings screw things up, and they're not always consistent. If I can take a repetitive task or a task that basically is relying on a um, logical set of decisions in order to uh, do something, I can make computers do that." Right. So that's where a lot of what this the, the different software platform does a lot of things like that. So it's learning in real time.
what's going on, what the employees are doing so it can create the workflows. It's also looking at in real time, like today, what is our capacity and making adjustments there where it needs to, and also looking out at capacity. Of course, the back end of that is we do a great job of marketing, so we make sure we have a wait list, right? Um, so there's, now I'm going to give you where the, some numbers where the rubber hits the road. There are um, independent groomers out there. I have a very good friend who's one. He maxes out at about 14 dogs a day. That's max out. And he's got two bathers working for him. Um, there's a, another franchise that I'm aware of that does gr great, awesome work with the exact same staff we have. So if I put the same number of people in the, in, in, in the building, maybe a couple of groomers and then the support, which our support is bathers and preppers. I think the way they do is just bathers. But if I've got that staff in a less than 1,500 square foot facility, so for us it's 1,200 to 1,500 feet, square feet, while they max out, at least according to their uh, public disclosure documents that I'm able to find, at around 20 to 26 dogs a day, we are doing same staff, same size, 60 to 80 dogs a day. In our average locations, our top performers are pushing 90 to over 100 dogs a day. Wow. That's that what I, when I said wild. money. But yeah, and it's, and it's all because we're using technology and tweaking the labor model to make it work. Can I say one other thing I think is really cool? Yes. Please. Yeah. So I've owned a couple of service businesses. This is also a service business, especially when I think about the staffing model, right? We've got a lot of um, entry-level employees that we're bringing into this. In the grooming industry, what is typical is someone loves dogs. Often dog lovers that like want to go wash dogs all day are not the most social people. When we find a dog lover working at Chipotle, pushing burritos down the line or bagging groceries or stocking shelves at Bed Bath & Beyond, they're not there because that's the job they want. They're there because they've worked for a groomer before that paid them on a percentage or they call it commission or percentage because when there's a no-show, the groomer who can only do 14 dogs a day has no money to afford to pay them more, right? That's just the, that's just the industry. So what we do is say by doing high volume, we don't pay them on uh, commissioner percentage. It's a W-2 job, paid hourly, and we make sure they're going to get their hours. So I can take, you know, young person, entry-level job that um, they just want their 14 hours a week, right? It's part-time job. Or, or somebody's, well, they need their 40 hours a week to, to pay their rent at their apartment, whatever it is. And I could say, we're going to make sure you have your hours. If I have a customer that doesn't show up, don't worry. We, we, just, we don't have that. We, we cover that. And we don't cover it just by paying about money. Our whole system you know, fills the backlog and all that stuff. So we keep them working. That's pretty cool for franchisees and for employees. You know, there's a couple of things that are hot topics right now in, in the world. And one of which is people. How do you find good people? How do you retain good people? And if you can guarantee their hours, if you can keep them busy, if the franchisee isn't wasting a bunch of payroll, stuff like that is gold. Now, one thing we haven't covered is on the technology side, we talked about the back end and efficiencies and building revenue for franchisees. As a consumer, what do I see from a technology standpoint? How do I know when my dog is done? Am I just waiting for a phone call? Tell us a little bit about what I would experience as a consumer with my dog other than clean, beautiful, efficient boutique. Sure. Um, so on the, on the tech side, pretty simple stuff. One is, I don't know if I mentioned this before, we do a six-point wellness check on every dog every time they come through. And that, um, we don't over-market that. Some companies, like that. that's the whole marketing thrust. Um, for us, it's kind of like every groomer should do that anyway. So it's sort of like, 
I'm not going to make a big deal. We do it. So one thing you would get if you drop your dog off is you get the report card on that that six-point health check. So you keep that in your records. And if there's any you know, red flag items that you'll be saying, hey, man, you got to get your dog to the vet and look at that rash under the whatever, um, yeah, that sort of thing. So you get that that kind of communication. Scheduling, most of the clients these days, they're all, they are all do it all online, just like you would expect. Go online. You pick your menu of things that you, you, you want for your little doggy and, and schedule it. Um, payment, everything is as electronic as we can make it be. New thing coming out in point of sale. We'll see other businesses doing this too, but it's pay by text. That's the newest thing coming out in, in point of sale. So we'll be rolling that out here very soon. So that way, when the client, and I'm going to kind of answer one of your questions, gets the text saying, hey, your dog's about to be done. You can come pick him up anytime now. Click this to pay. So if their credit card's on file, if they've set that up through our portal, then they just do that and then they can add a tip or whatever they want to do without having to fumble around for the credit card and do anything at the terminal in the store. So it's just about efficiency. We've got some other crazy efficiency things coming up. I, I don't want to divulge too much, but I'm, going to, I'm just, just going to say this. There's going to be technology coming out that when the customer walks in the door, the computer is going to know what dog that is. And there's no RFID chips. Nothing's going on weird with the dog. Don't worry. Um, and it's going to check them in by the time they get to the desk. That may not sound like a big deal, but if you're doing 100 dogs a day, 30 seconds a day of check-in, what did I just create in new productivity? I created almost another hour, right? So it's pretty like, that. that's like this, the CEO of this company, the founder, Dan, he's looking every all the time, like, can I shave a couple seconds here and convert that into productive time? When I looked at this, right, um, you know, I, I work for the Repham Group. We have different companies. And they said, hey, we got this dog brand coming in. You want to do it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, let me take a look at it. And so I went and met the founder, uh, went to his to the headquarters office and spent about a half a day with him. I walked out of there. You go into his office. It's six big. It's a wall of computer screens. It's like you're in the New York Stock Exchange. It's crazy. <laughs> and there's like you're seeing what else going on. I'm like, this is a tech company that is all about spreading love to dogs. That's what it is. It's not a dog company. <laughs> this is a tech company that has also figured out how to create value for dog lovers and get them, and they spend their money happily getting something they want and, you know, slash and dash franchisees are on the receiving end of that money. So who is the franchisee then? I mean, I love that you say this is a tech company and that's taking care of pets and pet lovers. Who's the franchisee who should invest in this concept? Gotta be a people person in two different, two different flavors. All right. What I mean by that is, um, you get two different kinds of franchisees. You have owner operators that they 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 want to be in the shop, right? I want to go to the shop and see the dogs and blah blah blah, and be behind the front desk and high five everybody. You've got that person. That person has to be a people person, and that they will be interfacing with the public day in and day out, and with the back of the house. So they've got to be, I, I call it wired with good leadership qualities. If you you can't, I'm going to uh, say this is a blanket term in small business in general from my own experience. If, if you're not the kind of person that's wired to be a leader, you're going to have a hard time with staffing. And the way I've seen it manifest itself in small business is care about people. Something we look for is, do you care about people? You know, we talk about money a lot and Dan's a very money-driven guy and being in business is a lot about money, but you will get, a, your staff will fall into this, um, I cover, I'm covering your butt, you're covering my butt mode if they feel like they're on a team 
they're producing something, they're high-fiving each other, and they feel good about what they're doing. If management and ownership doesn't like, push that vibe out there, it's not going to happen. Your employees aren't going to do it on their own, even if they're wired to do it. And so people that are positive, also smart, you know, in franchising, sometimes we say, well, you got to be able to follow the rules. And yeah, you do. But also there's a certain type of, I don't know what the word for it is, um, smartness, where people, if they don't know the rule, they'll figure it out. You know what I mean? And in this business, there is a degree of chaos. There's a bunch, a hundred dogs coming through today. Were you kidding me? At some point, somebody's going to perceive that as chaotic. You know, I grew up working uh, as a line cook at various restaurants in in uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, and you have the head chef going, "I need three minutes on this, and I need two minutes. Who's who's coming up on the broccoli, and you know whatever." And it was chaotic, but it was a chaotic orchestra. I'm not saying the owner has to be back there in that chaos, but they have to be okay with the business. That's the business, right? It's fun. It's it's like energizing. Um, but it, but it's a go, go, go business. It really is. So people that are a little bit energetic, smart, and they're people, people. Now I can back this up a little bit and say, well, wait a minute. If Warren Buffett said, I want to go buy a bunch of these franchises. I don't know if I just described Warren Buffett. I don't think I did. Maybe I did, but I don't think I did. What someone would need if they want to come in as an as an what I'm going to call an investor level franchisee, so somebody's going to do multiple units, uh, uh, that sort of thing. Um, it's a different kind of people person. It's someone who's got the ability to delegate. Their leadership style uh, won't need to deal with the frenetic chaos quite so much, but will we'll need to be um, you know firm and just a, a good leader. I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing this. You guys have been in franchising. Well, you know what I'm talking about? When you see those multi-unit operators, one of the things they all have in common is they're able to delegate. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone can do that. Um, My wife and I are wired differently in that regard. She's really good at micromanaging the heck out of me. I'm really good at delegating (laughs) anything to her. (laughs) Sounds like a great marriage because somebody has to be the micromanager and somebody has to be the delegator. So, yeah, but, and, and I say that kind of cheeky, but in the businesses that we've owned, so we, we owned a cleaning authority franchise where we had 43 employees. Um, it, that business got to a point where I was the better manager of it because I, I was willing to have, we had three managers in place. My wife would just like, man, are they doing it right today? Are they on top of things and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was saying, they know the numbers. We will do our weekly review on Monday. And if they screwed things up, we'll get it better next week. So, um, just our styles were totally different. Mine happened to work really well. And then I, I was willing to delegate, willing to let people have um, errors in the day and, and and coach them to how would you make your decision differently. And so that kind of line of thinking, we we see uh, really any franchise, I think would see in a good multi-unit developer that and you got to have some money. That is, that's a really good way to put it delegation ability. And I think people do have a false sense of that when you talk to people. Almost everybody I talk to would say, oh yeah, I can delegate. But then when it comes down to it and you start describing the day-to-day just as you did, that's a really good way for people to evaluate. Am I a multi-unit operator that could delegate this or am I a day-to-day in the business type of person? So those roles are a little bit different. Now, people join franchise systems for support. They want that model this is essentially a CFO built 
fuzzy feeling franchise, which is very, very rare. Typically, these heartstring brands are built by heartstring people, and it, it's built around you know two fluffy dogs. And I think all three of us on this call have two fluffy dogs. But what can franchisees expect in the means of support beyond just the technology piece? What can they expect from that franchisor with Splash and Dash? I was talking to a guy about this yesterday. It was actually an investment group. So three guys about this yesterday. And they started, I saw the look on their face and I stopped myself and I said, am I freaking you guys out? They said, yeah, you're kind of freaking me out. Right. So let me describe it to you. And as we talk back through, I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't mean to freak you out. So if I can paint a little bit of a picture here. So I've owned a number of different franchises. What, what normally has happened with what I consider to be very good support is I, um, if I wanted to, I could have, uh, you know, access to somebody at corporate whenever I need to pick up the phone call. I'm, hey, I'm having a problem. Help me out. Um, in my first year or two of any given franchise, I would have a monthly call with a support person where we would review the previous month. And then we would talk about, all right, well, what are we going to improve for the next month? That usually happened around the 10th of the month. So the month you're already in, you're sort of kind of, you weren't, you weren't talking about that. We we're talking about the next one. What Dan looks at, and again, this is a numbers guy, is like, if you do a monthly review, you're talking about something that's already happened and you don't have a way to correct anything in real time. What if we are looking at the data daily? Now, do you really pay somebody to sit and look at every piece of data daily? No, you don't. But the computer does, the system does. And so there it looks like a stock ticker going. So whatever their goal is for the month is broken down into days. And daily, if they're falling off goal, there is a guy at corporate that will pick up the phone. His name is Wes. He's going to pick up the phone and call him. Hey, is everything okay? Now, goal may be for a day, a few hundred bucks. Doesn't sound like a big deal. But the reason they do that is that's easily correctable in real time. A new franchisee might get the advice, hey, okay, uh, maybe what's happening is your front desk person isn't saying to every customer that's not a member yet, well, hey, Mrs. Smith, here, take this brochure on our memberships. If you take it a look, you might save a little money. Or, hey, remember, we have a promotion next week, 10% off the treats or whatever. And so they will see on the KPIs, I mean, literally, is there an activity that is not happening? That's where these guys started freaking out. Like, oh, my gosh, that's control freak. No, it's not control freak. It's you say you want to make, you know, top line revenue of whatever million bucks and you want to drop this many hundreds of thousands to the bottom line. You don't wait until after the month happened to go, well, that month's done. I'm going to make it up. You in real time, day by day, make sure you're correcting where you need to. And so one of the interesting things I've seen in this franchise, and I get a big kick out of it, is the ones that have been open for um, over a year, um, we could log into the system. Well, not you guys can't, but corporate people can. They let me do it every now and then. Um, could log into the system and look at what their this day's sales were last year, what their goal is for this year. There's a blue line and a red line. And then in, in between, there's a little green dot floating around that is the real-time revenue minute by minute at that location. And so if it falls below a certain threshold, they the franchisee can have it set up to set off an alarm that's going to make corporate pick up the phone and call them and go, hey, something's going on. Do we need to address it? What's up? So when you ask like support, I've never seen support at that level that isn't just are you following the rules, but it's about making money. You know, and that's where that CFO brain uh, is, you know, kind of driving the bus here. So that's one of the one of the things I think is a, a high level of support that maybe would be an example of kind of where they're coming from. 
That's a pretty unique element for sure. I mean, it's not playing catch up once a quarter of going, well, what were your challenges last quarter? And did you follow this? It's consistent real-time feedback and support. So I love to see that. You have an incredible career in franchising. And I have to imagine having worked on every side of the coin in this and just experience you've had in life, you've picked up a couple of good pieces of nuggets of advice. So share with our listeners today, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, I am not a smart fellow. So everything I know, someone else gave me. (laughs) I don't believe that. (laughs) Well, I like to say that. Uh, You know, there's, I don't know if this is the best one, but it's one that I remember a lot. And I find I want to, sometimes I find like, and I'm being a little passive aggressive when I do it, that I want to share it with somebody else. And that is, remember who the customer is. And I'm going to rewind to the beginning of this conversation. Myself, Linda Merrick, Mike Merrick, and I think Matt Merrick, all those were the founding family of Fish Window Cleaning, were sitting in the conference room at the dumpy little office that that company started in. And Mike said, the customer is not the people paying for window cleaning. We're no longer in that business. The customer is the franchisee. They're paying us a royalty. Therefore, they're buying something from us. That makes them the customer. And so every day, every decision we make, we need to make sure we are doing that knowing who our customer is. And I think that can be applied in so many different things. If you just take take that that um, perspective and say, who is my customer in whatever transaction? The transaction could be just two people talking or whatever, but who who is getting something from the other, right? Um, in franchising, I have, there's thousands of franchisors out there. I think some of them need to get told that sometime. Sometimes, hey, your franchisor, your franchisee, that's your customer. They're paying you. <laughs> it's it's not just a contractual relationship. Like you're their vendor and their only vendor, therefore, and they're your they're your customer. And so I think that's it. No, no, just remember who your customer is, no matter what you're doing. I'm gonna tell that to my husband tonight. Remember who your customer is, sir. <laughs> I like that. That can be personal, professional. Well, like I said, it's- you could use it passive aggressive. Yeah, you could you play with it. I'm, I mean, I'm Norwegian, Tim. I'm from the Midwest. And as are you being from St. Louis, I think we're the masters of passive aggressiveness. <laughs> so I think we have our Southern friends beat. <laughs> so, yeah. so one thing we ask everybody on this podcast, and we've gotten some fantastic answers. I can't wait to hear yours is what is your personal and compelling reason for being involved in franchising? Because you can't quit it and it can't quit you. So I've got a canned answer and an honest answer for that. Not that we'll I knew the question both. was coming, but the, the no, <laughs> I mean the canned answer means I mean you talk to people all the time, and like I'm doing this, and here's why I do it. Um, it's I like helping people. I get a kick out of it. The honest answer behind that is it's a big. Uh, I shouldn't say this out loud. It's a big ego float. I mean, how good do you feel when you bump into somebody? I don't mean to keep talking about fish window cleaning. The president of fish window cleaning now, because Mike's retired. I'm the guy that sold him that franchise and we see each other. He thanks me for changing his life. What a big freaking ego float. Um, people now in that same brand are on their 20th year and doing their second 10 year renewal. And they'll shoot me a message. Hey, do you remember me? I bought this from Becca. I'm in the Woodlands, Texas. This is Jonathan. Remember me from 20 years ago. You changed my life. You know, I was like, what are you, I'm getting goosebumps saying that right now. Um, the organization you guys are with, IFPG, I have a shirt that says IFPG Life Changer. And like, yes. that's real. That's not like a buzz thing. It's um, so, yeah, the honest answer is 
you get, you get a paycheck every now and then, but like every day you get the biggest ego bump you could possibly get. And I've just never, I can't imagine getting that anywhere else. And so that's the <laughs> ego. That's why. I, that's a great answer. And, and I think it's more than ego. I mean, it is like, just, it fills you up the, the job yeah. that, that you get to do, that we get to do, that we all get to do, introducing people to something they never would have thought would be as big as it is. And so thank you so much for joining us, for talking about Splash and Dash, life, giving us all these nuggets today. I just really appreciate your time, Tim. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. So if you'd like to learn more about franchising and diversifying your portfolio through franchising, email us at info at franpathconsulting.com. Follow the FranPath Consulting Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Please rate and review us five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram at FranPath, Facebook and LinkedIn at FranPath Consulting. Or go to our website, franpathconsulting.com, to take your free business assessment. Mm-hmm.